Hey listeners, this is your host, Sally Holder. Welcome to the Hitting Rock Middle podcast. I am so excited that you're here. We are going to have an amazing interview today with the incredible Lindsay Pinchuk, if I say her last name correctly. Um, This is a community builder, a content creator. She knows how to take uh, the, all of those incredible strategies and turn them into revenue, something that not a lot of other people know how to do. I see a lot of women attempting to build community, but they never figure out how to monetize it. So I'm thrilled that Lindsay is here. She's going to help us figure out exactly how you can monetize all the information you have stuck in your head and all the people that you know. Um, so welcome, Lindsay, to the Hitting Rock Metal podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Sally. I'm so happy to be here. So before we get started, talk to us about who you are, where you're from, all of the good background information. Yeah, of course. So I um, I grew up in Detroit, and I'm very proud to say that not the city, but in the suburbs of Detroit. And um, when you meet people from Michigan, you know we're very proud to be from Michigan. So um, that's where I grew up. I went to the University of Michigan. I moved to Chicago right after graduation. So I am Midwest through and through. I started a career in ad sales kind of by accident. And um, I ended up doing that for about 10 years, just over 10 years. And I got pregnant on purpose. We were very excited to be starting a family. And I was a transplant in Chicago and I had no family here. And I have a ton of friends, but none of them were pregnant at the same time as me. And um, so we all have fifth graders, but I was just first and mine is the oldest. So that's always fun. But um, I said to my husband, like, there has to be somewhere for me to meet friends. There's like, I have no support. I have no community. And there wasn't. And so I started hosting events for expectant parents and parents in Chicago, really just based on my own need to find support and community. I showed up as an expectant mom. There was no social media at the time. I mean, it was very limited. It was like Facebook personal pages. There were no business pages. There was no like Instagram or Twitter, or Snapchat, TikTok, none of that existed. There was LinkedIn. You know, I sent an email to everyone I knew. I was like, hey, if you know someone who's pregnant, send them to this prenatal workout I'm going to host. I ended up growing that community that I started here in Chicago to first include parents. And then I ended up growing it nationally and actually internationally because we were doing stuff in Canada as well. So in about eight years, I ended up taking it from my few events in Chicago to thousands of events around the country, around the continent with partners like Target and Nordstrom and The Honest Company, Huggies. And I ultimately grew it to be... We reached about 3 million people a month across all of our platforms that was paid and unpaid and um, generating about seven over seven figures in revenue a year for the last five years that I owned it. And um, I ended up selling the business to a large agency holding company. And um, they bought it largely for my relationship with Target. That was what drew them to me. I ended up working there for two and a half years. And last summer, I decided to exit for a variety of reasons, as many entrepreneurs can, I'm sure, imagine. Um, But ultimately, I really wanted something new. I wanted to be helping other female founders. And so when I exited, my company, Bump Club and Beyond, became my first client. And I sent out an email once again. And I said, I'm taking clients. And I started taking clients. And now I am both consulting big, big brands and clients on community building, as well as social media and content, which all really funnels into the building of a community. And then I'm also coaching clients as well. And I have a podcast called Dear Founder, which you will be on soon, which I'm very excited about. 
Um, and really I'm growing a community all over again for founders. Love it. That's my story. (laughs) So give us the goods. I mean, what does it take to build a community? One, uh, because that's obviously step one. And then two, how do you actually monetize the creation of a community? Yeah. So I want to preface this by saying this is a slow roll. This does not happen overnight. And if you think it's going to, you are dead wrong. And you really need to get that out of your gut, out of your head, out of your feeling, out of your intuition, because it just doesn't happen overnight. And a lot of the reason it doesn't happen overnight to build a community is because you have to build trust and you have to build connection. And really and truly, those are the things that that matter most. Um, when I started building Bump Club, I had no plan. There was no intention. I, I mean, it was literally to make friends for myself. And I showed up as me. That, Like, honest to God, that's what I did. I showed up as me. I shared. I asked for feedback. I um, was very honest about my pregnancy. I was very honest about the products I was using. Um, when brands eventually started asking to pay me, if it wasn't something I would use, we said no. You know, I, I really never, ever compromised the integrity of the business. And so in order to build a community, you have to show up first and foremost thinking of your community and the connection and not your pocketbook and your bottom line. If you show up on day one asking them to buy from you, it just doesn't work like that. So I didn't realize it at the time. I mean, I really and truly, I I would say probably like it was like three or four years in that I was like, oh, like we're almost generating seven figures a year, you know? And so, but I, I say that because I showed up and just naturally shared. And because I was doing that, people were gravitating towards me and they were asking me questions. And then when Instagram started, they started following me. And then, um, you know, it it was a lot easier to say, oh, well, I'm going to be in LA for an event. Here's the link for tickets because they had a connection with me. And so when you show up, act as yourself, you're authentic, you communicate, you ask, you don't just, you know, you don't just throw things out at them, but you really converse with people. And, and I'm not just saying on social media, you know, this is not just like a social media thing. This is live events on a podcast, um, on your website. This is publicity that you do. I mean, all of your content, your email, like everywhere that you put content, you have to show up authentically. You have to engage. You have to write back. You have to listen. And those are the those are the fundamentals that really and truly drive community. And when you listen, you need to respond to what your community is telling you. Um, you know, when I say listen, I don't mean just open your ears. I mean, like really listen and give them what it is that they need. And when you do those things, the community ends up forming. You have this great relationship. They trust you. And then you can start to ask them to buy from you, whether it's a product, whether it's a service, whether it's an event, whether it's a webinar. I mean, it it can be anything. And those are all ways that we'll get into kind of how you can monetize your community. But I want to pause for a minute because I just like threw a lot at you. No, I mean, it's so great. You know, it comes back to that cardinal rule of show up to serve, not to sell. And it sounds like, you know, that was the original premise of creating the the events. I'm curious how long 
because everybody loves specificity. So how long did you serve before you ever began to offer them something to sell? My third event was a paid event. Okay. One month. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, honest to God, like, and, and it's not, and, but I didn't stop serving after that point. Right. So like yeah. we, I'll, I'll tell you, I can tell you exactly how I rolled this out. I had a free prenatal workout. I had a free shopping event at both of those events. There were discounts offered. We did gift bags. Like I keep in mind, I have a background in advertising at an ad sales. So I reached out to brands. They sent me product. We did gift bags. Like I understand how that works, but I wasn't they weren't paying at that point. Brands were not paying at that point. I, it was free. They were giving me product. I was putting it in the hands of the people that that they wanted to have that product. And so after that second event, people were like, well, what's next? And as a expectant mom, I was like, well, I think I need to learn how to register. So I created a dinner. And obviously the dinner, I had costs that I was going to incur. So I created a budget and we charged $50 for the dinner. And we built out an offering that was worth well more than $50. It included a big gift bag. It included the meal. It included the speaker, a chance to win prizes. We gave away like 30 big ticket items. And the the excitement from that dinner led to another dinner. And that second dinner, I had a sponsor, a national sponsor. Graco sponsored it. And then Britax got word of it. And Summer Infant got word of it. And so my fourth dinner or my, my fourth event, we had two sponsors. And that is really how it happens. You build upon it, right? So it's not like I was rolling in seven figures right away, but I set little benchmarks for myself and I used partnerships and I used, you know, my my community to grow. And th- something else that I wanted to say too is when you show up and you are yourself and you build these connections, like actual connections. What ended up happening, well, what ends up happening is people subscribe to you. They want you to succeed. They want to help. And what happened with me about six months in, I think it was definitely before or like right after my, I think it was right after my first daughter was born. I had a mom come to me and say, I can't, I'm moving to Austin. I cannot live without Bump Club. Can I take it with me? And that's when we started expanding. And then I had someone from Minneapolis call me and say, my girlfriends in Chicago are telling me what you're doing. How can I help you? How can I work for you? How can I be a part of this? She started it in Minneapolis. And while the events didn't do as well in Minneapolis as they did in Chicago, that is where we landed our relationship with Target very soon after. And then we had Nordstrom calling. And you know, so then it, that's really, it's, it's how you utilize your connections and how you build upon what it is that you're, you know, that you're founding and what the foundation is. That's really how, how it works when it comes to monetization. I love that. I mean, what specificity you're giving our listeners? I mean, this is incredible content. So thank you for being of course. so <laughs> authentic and generous, even during our conversation that shows up. I can imagine that in that setting, I already get the gist of from you that you're a giver and it just comes very naturally from you. I mean, but it's, it, you have to like, I don't yeah. know. Like I, I yell at my clients all the time when I'm like, who cares? Like, who cares if someone like knows what's behind the curtain? Like they're, you know, if they want to buy you, they're going to buy you. Like that's, you know, that's just really how, how it is. I have, um, I have a service-based client that, it does not want to show like she she does not want to share anything that's like industry specific. And I'm like, I always say to her, hey, like you can Google this. 
You know what I mean? Like you can Google this, but it's, it comes off different when you say it yourself. And so, you know, a lot of what I'm sharing with you now is also how I'm building my new community. And it's of course happening faster because I know how to do it. And I know from like, I've learned from the mistakes that I've made, but like very similarly in terms of like the monetization, you know, I, I started my podcast in order to build thought leadership and from one guest to another guest and I've gotten bigger guests. And then some of those guests have hired me, you know, and that, and then they spread the word. I mean, it's really about relationships and networking and putting yourself out there and really utilizing the tools that are at your fingertips with bump club. We never, we never spent on marketing, not until we were doing, you know, six figure deals with big, with big partners who the marketing was built into their budget. Gosh, I love that. Yeah. I just had a client the other day ask me, um, should I go ahead and hire a social media coordinator? And I'm thinking you're not profitable or even close to profitable. So no, um, there are many other things that we need to do that have to do with your, your time and creating right some relationship building and pouring into other people before we ever have to worry about how you're actually showing up on social media. Um, not that it isn't important, but you're going to be just fine if you keep showing up on social media in the same way that you have been, as long as you go and do the foundational things that build a business, which is exactly what you're talking about. Networking, right? Learning from your ideal customer base, defining who they are, being a niche uh, in a niche, serving them really, really well. Then you can come back and blow things up. But I find today people want to do it the opposite. I want to blow up my well, presence Because on everyone media. wants it immediately. And, ev- and like, so like, because of how social media is, everyone, you know, wants that instant gratification and, and they think that they deserve it right away. And you don't, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't like, I worked my ass off to get to where I, I am and where I was with my business to sell it. And being an entrepreneur is really hard. Owning a company is really hard. Having employees is really hard. And it's not something that is served on a silver platter to you. Like you have to work for it and you have to be strategic about how you build. And like I said, the very first thing I said when we got on this conversation was it's a slow roll and it is so true, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, expectation is the root of all disappointment. And I find a lot of the founders get that first hit of disappointment and maybe, you know, and, and the judgment of whether or not they're successful, unfortunately, isn't, you know, whether or not customers are showing up and people are clamoring for what they have and they're solving a problem and then they're able to monetize it and grow it in the way that you have, which is correct. Um, they're judging their success on whether or not they have 10,000 followers. And I'm very clear about, hey, let's look. I, I said the other day, this is so funny. I don't know why I'm even sharing this, but look at um, Steve Carell, right? He was on the Today Show the other day talking yeah. about I his, saw him. Yes, on his fifth Despicable Me movie. And I'm thinking, good on him. He is making millions of millions of millions of dollars on a cartoon movie right? Ego would tell someone else, turn that down and go try to do some indie flick that has no budget that, you know, may win you an Oscar one day. And I'm like, that's a slow roll, right? And he's going to laugh his way all the way to the bank. And, but, you know, he did what works, right? And he took the route that may seem to someone's ego 
less popular, um, you know, less um, demonstrative of wild success, but I would say it's wildly successful. Yes. I mean, and it's funny that you say that because I tell my clients all the time to please not focus on your number. Like it doesn't matter. And, you know, and I'll say from experience both then at my old company and now, I mean, so at Bump Club, for example, we never bought a follower. Like everything was very organic. Um, When we... When I when I sold it, we had over 120,000 followers on Facebook on Facebook, and like you know that and that was like all organic. That was all organic, and we had crazy engagement. And we would be working with brands, very big brands like Dove, and like, I mean like big brands that would have like hundreds of thousands of millions of followers. And we would do things with them, and we would get no engagement. They would get no engagement on their posts, and it was very indicative of it was a vanity number you know, and we, and, and it wasn't doing anything for us, but, the, but I, that was an aside, but my point is at bump club on Instagram, I think we had less than 70,000 followers when I left and we were making a lot of money. So it's not like you need a million followers to make millions of dollars. You don't. And, um, you know, and same thing with me now, like I don't have a giant following on social media. And I often kick myself that I put all of my eggs into building bump club, social media, and not my own until like last year. And, um, you know, but I'm still making a living. I'm still paying myself right now. I am still ahead of where I wanted to be after less than a year of doing this new business. And it's not about the number at all, like at all one bit. It, it is not. And you can make money on a community without having millions of followers because a community is there for you. They will engage with you. They will think of you when they need your service or product if you show up and serve them, period. Love it. So true. So you did say, okay, we've talked about some partnerships with some big brands like Graco and Target. Um, Talk to me about what the expectations are of some of those brands and what makes your community attractive to them. And I'm so curious, what um, is it that you are doing for them from your community perspective? Yeah. So when I, and I'll kind of dial it back to the beginning, because I think it's important to know where this came from. Obviously my background is in ad sales. So when I built Bump Club, you know, I built it based on a media model. I mean, it was based off of, you know, our, our circulation was our community and our ads, like they weren't pages, but they were our sponsors. And what ended up happening were, I think, a few things that really made this successful. One, there was a person, me. I mean, there was a person and, and, and I showed up and you were communicating with me. There was a face of the brand. There was a lot of engagement even before there was social media. I also had a community filled with a very, very um, coveted demographic. Pregnant women are like a marketer's dream because they want what is, they want only what is best for themselves and their baby starting now. And you really only have about six months to get in with them. And, you know, because these women trusted me so much and they were showing up at our events and we got to a point like very early on, I remember we had like a breastfeeding dinner and we sold out and I was like, oh my God, like we like, and we sold out a second night. And then we, we ended up having a wait list. 
And I had to have the wait list because I didn't have enough gift bag items for these people. So like, and we didn't have enough space in the restaurant. So like, you know, that engagement, the brands were like, oh my God, like you have these women and they are listening to you and they are trusting you. And, and I want to clarify, I am not an influencer. I've never billed myself as an influencer. That is not something at all that is like in my realm of how I make money. Or when I started this, influencers weren't even a thing. You know, there was no Instagram. So um, you know, but I do think that me putting myself out there, building my trust with this community made me influential. And so, you know, combine that with my approach to brands, which I had no problem reaching out. I mean, I was pounding the pavement. I was cold calling. I was calling them. I was emailing them. And, you know, I had a very good email that was in place. And that's what I would always recommend if you are reaching out for partnerships is like, reach out with a very directive approach. It's like, this is who I am. This is what I can offer you. This is, you know, you don't have to put pricing or anything in it. Um, but this is what we could do together. Let's hop on a call and discuss. And really, and truly, I think when a lot of these brands saw, you know, I have a hundred plus expectant women in Chicago, like working class women coming to an event that were pregnant and, you know, and I would say in the email and brands such as so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so are already signed on. The minute that brand saw that, they were like, oh, well, I need to be there too because their competition was there. So, you know, when I, when you ask me about brands, you have to leverage the competition because and like kind of almost put them against each other because if you have a brand and then there's another brand, it's like, oh my God, well, I gotta, I gotta be there too. What like what is this all about? So, you know, when we started working with brands, everything was kind of different at first, especially on like the big activations. Um, you know, Target, when they approached us, they wanted to drive community in store and they knew we had community. And so we built a program for them that was free to attend where um, brands would set up tables, be able to sample, and we would have like an educational component with some, some bump club team members. And there were times that we had standing room only 300 people standing in the baby department of a target store somewhere in our country. And, um, you know, and that, that opportunity and that program really put bump club on the map nationally because we were working with a very large retailer, the one of the largest in the country. So we had that kind of reputation. They weren't working with anyone else in the baby space in terms of like a community, we weren't charging people to come. And so i very firmly believe that every mom, every woman should have had, should have access to the information, knowledge, and education that Bump Club was supporting. I also know that not every mom could pay $50 to come to a dinner, you know, to get the swag bag with the, with the information. And so this opportunity with Target really allowed us just like a Missoni or, you know, one of their brand collabs, it allowed us to partner with them for the masses. And it, it was a bigger amazing. achievement of your mission. Yeah. Yes. And it, you know, we were able to bring our educational component to so many more people nationwide because of our partnership with target. They're still doing the partnership with target. It, it went all, it went totally online during COVID. Um, I ended up, we were, it was supposed to be our first large scale activation after my acquisition, March 21st, 2020, we were supposed to host 300 stores in one day. We used to do 20 across the year. We were going to do 300 in one day and we turned it online. We turned it into an, a seven-figure online activation that they're still running. They have, Target has renewed 
um, every single year. And um, it's and it's a great program because it really educates the expectant consumer. So that was kind of like that. Um, Nordstrom also approached us because they were bringing in high-end baby gear into their store to sell. And we had this signature event series called Gear Palooza, where we went all around the country and all of the high-end baby gear were sponsors. They were paying sponsors of this event. And they were now going to be sold at Nordstrom. And so Nordstrom called me and they said, well, we would like to host Garapalooza. And I said, well, that is not possible. And they were they were like shocked that I said that. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like the event, the way that we built the event, and this goes back to staying true to your own mission. I said, this event was built to support independent retailers across our country. And in every single city, we partner with an independent retailer, LB Baby in New York. Galt Baby in Chicago, Magic Beans in Boston, all of like the bigger online independent baby retailers. And I said, so I, and I said, and not only that, a large portion of our revenue from this event comes from tickets because we would have three to 500 people at each event and they were buying tickets, $50 up. I said, so I can't, from a financial standpoint, that's not going to work unless you're willing to pay me this amount of money. And so I said, but I think maybe a happy medium would be for us to create some kind of exclusive signature event for Target. Why can't, or for Nordstrom, why can't we do something different? Like it doesn't have to be called Garapalooza. We'll build something else. And so you asked about like the expectation of like the retailer and like that, that was a very different approach because Nordstrom paid us. The brands didn't pay us. Whereas Target, the brands paid and Target paid. So Nordstrom paid us. We involved the brands. Nordstrom also gave each person that came a $25 gift card is like an incentive and it was, it was great. And so, and they, they ran the whole set. They sent the set, they did all the logistics because of the union. So like, you know, and I'm, I'm sharing this all because I want to paint the picture that every relationship is different and it's not cookie cutter. And that I think is to something that really set bump club and myself apart from a lot of our competition, which we didn't have much, but there were a few groups was that we approached every situation uniquely. And if a brand is coming to you wanting sponsorship and they're and you're you're selling them your community, that's because that's your product, you need to do something that meets their objectives. So it's not going to always be the same. It's not going to always be a cookie cutter event of whatever it was from, you know, the last partner. And so that's why I'm sharing this. So does that answer your question? That was like such a long answer. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Um. <laughs> 100 percent talk about this all day <laughs> I, I, I could too are you running your business like a marathon at sprint speed but never getting anywhere take back control of your business with the brims revenue accelerator program and let expert business coach sally holder run alongside you each step of the way Our new program provides you the tools, strategies, and support you need to increase your revenue and create impactful growth. To get started earning more in considerably less time, follow us on Instagram at The Brim. That's T-H-E underscore B-R-I-M-M. And direct message us revenue to find out if this is the right fit for you and your business. I am so curious what you think about, uh, I mean, I have so many questions, but I'm so curious what you think about, um, you know, the small founder that right now is maybe early six figures, right? They've gotten through their initial ideation phase. They kind of know what they want to be building at this point. Um, When do you think that bringing on some kind of corporate sponsorships or any of that is appropriate? um, How far along in their 
you know, business experience do they need to be, et cetera? I don't think it's about experience, truly. I mean, when it's all said and done, if like, if like when we, okay, so when I first started with Bump Club and the sponsorships, I had events. So I was selling events and then I built like a package around the event. And it was like, well, you'll get an email. Well, at the time, I think it was only like a few hundred people that I was emailing, you know, eventually it was like 150,000, but like, it, you know, early on, it was just a few hundred. We, and I would come up with like a package of what I can offer. Like you have to think about like, what can I offer? And for me, it was logo placement on an invite that we shared on social in an email, a custom e-blast. Um, you know, you could send a representative to the event to talk about your product. Like these were all kind of the elements that I gave to the brand. And your next question is going to be about pricing. So I'm going to answer that. So how do you price it? Right. There is no formula. There is no formula. And I don't care what anyone tells you. It is like a shot in the dark. It is like, you know, I, I very vividly remember like the first sponsorship being like, okay, so I'm going to offer you this and it's $1,500. And I'm a salesperson by nature. So I was like, all right, if they accept it, I've gone too low. And if they're negotiated, maybe, maybe I'm just about right. And if they walk away, then I've gone too high. And that is the litmus test for how to price it. Right. And like, that's how I price my services to this day. So true. You know, I mean, you, you have to put the number out there. What do you want? And what the creates first... the win-win experience between yourself and the other company? If you feel like you're losing, you're just creating resentment. That definitely is not going to create a great relationship between you right. and them long-term anyway. And then you they have well to service it. them. It's not yeah. just like you take the money and you throw their logo on things. Like you have to listen to them. You have to service them. Go above and beyond because your reputation is everything. And that's something too that throughout the years, you know, I would go to trade shows and I, I it was like, reunion for me. Like it was like, these people were my family, you know, and they still are. I talked to many people in the baby space and the baby space is a very small space as it is. Um, but you know, it was the relationships. And then, you know, that made it easier for me to go back to those brands and say, okay, well, I have another event or I have this. And then on year two, it was okay. Well here, I'm going to have 10 expectant parent dinners and I'm going to have this and this, and I can build this package for you and it'll be more efficient. And so then you start pricing things more efficiently. Now, I will tell you this. One of the top ways to be able to increase your revenue. Yep. Yeah. But I will tell you this that I think is very important too. Hold on to those relationships and take care of those clients that have been there for you from the start. And you know, when I was acquired, I had a brand who was with me from day, basically day one. They were one of my first sponsors. And I never raised the rate. And I never raised the rate because they stuck by me. They, they raised their revenue with me. And they did more with me, but I didn't raise their like per event rate. And they were what got me started. They were what got other brands in. So don't bite the hand that feeds you. And, you know, because the, and then that, that changed when I was bought. And so I didn't have control over that anymore. And, um, that didn't, but feel you good kept the relationship. I kept the relationship, but that didn't feel good to me when people who were in charge wanted to now charge them the same that other people were being charged. And because to me, the relationship is everything. And I knew that I could go to this brand if I ever needed anything, if I needed a stroller or a car seat for a giveaway or if, whatever it was. And, and so, you know, I think it's really important to start small, like I said early on, and build upon that. And it's okay if like some of your partners are not paying as much as others because it's all about creating the demand. 
Yes. I mean, so true. I'm just sitting back nodding constantly. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, but to answer your question, it's not too early ever. I don't think, I mean, if you have a six figure business, like you clearly have an email list, you clearly have a social presence, like think about what it is that you could get sponsored and sponsorship. Isn't the only way to monetize your community. I mean, you know, maybe you're a six figure business and you do one-on-one coaching. I'm just like thinking like I'm, you know, but maybe you do a webinar and it's paid and it's like five or $10, but you know, you can get a thousand people there. That's like a great way to scale your business. So, I mean, you can think about the other things that you can offer to sell to your community. I think I just did a, I think I just did a post on this. Like, I think I just did a whole exact post with like nine ways that you can monetize your community. Or maybe I taped a podcast episode that I have coming out. I just went through like nine ways to monetize your community. And and, and now I'm thinking about that. So you can follow me to find more, I guess. (laughs) Exactly. I love that. And the name of your podcast is Found Her. Dear Found Her. Dear Found Her. Yeah. Um, And that's F-O-U-N-D and then H-E-R instead of Founder. I love it. Play on words. Um, So a while back, we talked about the fact that there were mistakes along the way. Nothing can be perfect. It's not right. This straight line to the top, even though we would love it to be that way. What are some of the mistakes that you made and and learned from? Yes. So I would say the very first mistake I made is I didn't hire a bookkeeper soon enough. Um, (laughs) And I think, and I think that a lot of founders make that mistake and um, one invest in, in good accounting software. I mean, QuickBooks is not that expensive. There are other options too. Um, Find someone who can teach you how to use it if you can't pay someone. But I mean, there are, you know, bookkeeping services out there for a couple hundred dollars a month and it is worth it. Um, The minute I turned that around was when I really started to grow. And, you know, I I think it is that is like the first hire you should make if you're going to pay someone for anything, especially if you're like me and I'm, I'm very forthcoming I'm not good at accounting. I'm not good at numbers. I That is not my strong suit. Finance is not my strong suit. And so you have to recognize what you're good at and what you're not good at and fill in those blanks. Now, I will tell you this now, second time around, I hired a bookkeeper within week one, you know, and it's kept me on track. And it's it's just so much better for me than like flying by the seat of your pants. I saw someone the other day, like a couple of weeks ago, I saw some like content creator online talking about the tools that she uses for her multiple six-figure businesses. And it was all created content creator tools. And um, she was a lawyer who like provided like legal counsel to uh, like other content creators. And I said, well, what about like QuickBooks or an accounting software? And she wrote back publicly on her post. Oh, I was thinking about getting a bookkeeper, but I haven't. So I haven't invested in the software yet. I keep it in a Google sheet. And that to me was like this big red flag of like, then you don't have a six figure business. Like there's just no way there's no, no there's like, no way. there's just no way. And, you know, so I, I very, I, I'm very adamant that that is like, that was my number one mistake. Um, I would say another mistake that I made was trying to think I could do everything by myself, you know, and I think, and many entrepreneurs fall into this and it's like, you don't want to pay someone for something because you're not even paying yourself. But like, guess what? If you're an entrepreneur, you're probably not going to pay yourself right away. And that's just something you have to know going into it. Um, When I, so I ended up my first employee, I ended up hiring a full-time employee that I paid her more before I paid me. So she was getting paid and I wasn't getting paid. And 
Um, and that set the foundation for my business. And even as she was working, you know, there were other things that I was doing that I really should have been outsourcing sooner. And once I did, it really just changed my whole business. And so this time, two days ago, actually, I was sitting on my couch doing something like, you know, it's my first time not having a team in 12 years. So like, I'm like going to build one, I'm sure eventually, but like, I'm back to being a solopreneur. So I'm like, oh, and I was sitting on my couch building some kind of assets for my podcast, or I don't even remember what it was. And I was like, what am I doing? I was like, what, like, what am I doing? I could have a virtual assistant right now. Like, and I can afford it. So like, why am I not doing this? And literally the next day I put out a call and I've like been interviewing virtual assistants, like, like a few hundred dollars a month to do this task that I needed to do. That was taking me a long time that it's not that I couldn't do it. It's that I should be using that time to be doing something to grow the business, not building assets. Uh, right? absolutely. So those are my two like biggest mistakes I think entrepreneurs make. And I think the third one I would say is entrepreneurs and founders really find this need for perfection. And, and that was something that I also had early on and I let go very quickly. Um, it's not going to be perfect. It's okay mm-hmm. to put something out into the world that's not like your final final, final, because it's never a final, final, final. Like if, if you have a successful business, it's always going to be changing. Yeah. I love the quote. If you're not embarrassed by your first iteration, then you started too late. And it doesn't matter if you're continuing to grow as an entrepreneur and grow as a person, because they're one and the same, um, along the way, you're always going to look back at what you did a couple of years ago and, and, realize, oh my gosh, it was embarrassing. I can't believe I did it that way. And and that's a great thing because that's the only way to be able to recognize the significant progress you've had. Yep. And to you have to successes. make mistakes to grow. You have to. You have like, to. You're not going to grow without them. Right. Um and and then your your other point about um oh gosh um the the second point that you made about um I said the bookkeeper outsourcing yeah. and outsourcing. And, okay. Yes. Um, you know, I constantly am having to focus clients back in on their individual zone of genius. And I love Gay Hendricks statement about, you know, you can live in your zone of excellence forever um, in that book, The Big Leap, um, but it will ultimately cost you right? You have to know what your consequences will be. It will cost you the achievement of your dream. And if you can, right, maybe sacrifice slightly in the beginning to invest in the assistance, the help, support, not only are you allowing someone else to live in their zone of genius, right? So it's a gift to them. It's crazy because we can't imagine being the people that can edit the images of podcasts. I'm with you. I stare at that thing for two hours and I'm like, why am I doing this? Um, And it still looks ugly. Um, (laughs) And then if I'm living one more hour or two more hours in my zone of genius, what I'm capable of creating is exponential growth versus a podcast image. And so, right, right, when we compare the two. So I just love what you were sharing there. The other thing that I want to say that I learned from like Bump Club to my consulting business is... So like, I really like hustled with Bump Club. Like I was like always working and it wasn't like a bad thing because there was a very gray area. Like my life was Bump Club. I was living it. I was in that life stage. So like I would go to events and my friends would be there. and, And so it wasn't like it felt like work all the time. But like, I never turned it off. And 
when I sold the company, a big part of why I sold it was so that like I could take time off and what and whatnot. And then like at the new company, we had summer Fridays and I would take a summer Friday and everyone would call me. And it was just like really annoying. You know, I will tell you that a couple of Fridays ago, I just like didn't work. Like I just, I just didn't work like, and it was fine, you know? And I, and I remember, and I was like, at the end of the day, I was like sitting on my porch and I was like, when was the last time that like, not only did I not work on a Friday and have an actual summer Friday, but that no one bothered me and that I didn't, that I let it go. And like, that was a big thing too. And, and on Monday I went back to work and like, everything was fine. Like I still had clients and like my, my social media was still there and like, everything was okay. Like I'm not curing the disease. So like, you know, but it was very eye opening to me in that moment because I, I really don't think I had had that since I worked at Hearst before I started Bump Club. And, 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 it's, and, you know, it's different because like, it's, this is mine now, which like Bump Club was mine too. And so you would think that like, I would, I would not be feeling that way, but like, it just goes to show the importance of taking a minute and taking time for yourself. And like, I felt really recharged when I went back to work that Monday. And then I did it again the next weekend. You know, I took my daughter to overnight camp and I didn't really work for a few days. And it was like amazing. And I was like, this is why I do this, you know? And so I think sometimes you just have to remind yourself that and like not worry about what everyone else is doing around you or like get caught up in what you think everyone's doing around you because social media is like a really messy, screwed up place and can really mess with your head. Yeah. I'm constantly telling clients, I am not doing whatever it says that I am doing on social media contemporaneously of when it's posted, guys. Like I'm scheduling those things so that I can create the freedom and flexibility that I really started this business to be able to have, right? And that's really, and financial success, right? Those three Fs, if you will. Um, So now that you're in this second, you know, trip around, um, what are you going to, that was kind of one part of the answer of what you're going to do differently. But from a perspective of like content and marketing, where do you see things developing over the course of the next couple of years? Um, you know, where do we need to put our time and energy right now as think because things are changing so fast. So I think my biggest, so when I left bump club and I started this like Lindsay Pinchuk 2.0 at, at first, I, I, kind of just build myself as like a marketing consultant. And then I realized like, I can't do that. Like you got to be a little more specific here, you know? And it was tough for me because like, I've done a lot of things. I grew a business and I sold it. And there were a lot of things that went on to make that happen. And so, you know, I can help people in a lot of ways, but I sat down one afternoon and I was like, what is it that I do? What is it that I'm really good at? And I, and I stayed in my lane and I came up with my lane and my lane is community building. And a lot of the things that I love that happen in marketing roll up into community. So, you know, the first part of my answer is like, I really think you need to be focused. And and that is like something you can't be everything to everyone. And like when I grew Bump Club, um, and I guess this is a little along the lines of like what I would do similarly, but like when I grew Bump Club, I started with expectancy. And then when I had my baby, we started doing mom stuff. And then we started doing school age mom stuff, you know, so like I kind of grew with my community. I didn't just do it all at once. And very similarly, I guess now I, I want to stay in my lane. I want to figure out what it is. And then from a content standpoint, I think what I'm doing differently um, that I, I'm just being more 
intentional and more efficient with my content. Um, Like I ran Bump Club's content for the whole time. I mean, I was doing our content, our social media, but then I also was creating our programs we were selling. I was the face. So I was leading the stuff online. I was going to the big client meetings to help sell the programs, whatever it was. And so a lot of times the content would would just kind of get thrown up or like it just wasn't as intentional. Um, I'm being much more intentional with my content, but much more intentional with my process. And that is what I tell my clients all the time is like, they're like, you must have a big social media team because you put out so much content. I don't. I, I have mastered a process which has allowed me to repurpose my content in a way that you don't know it's being repurposed. And also you don't follow me on every platform. So you wouldn't know. And I'm very purposeful about what I put out there. And I don't just post to post. Also differently is I don't post that much about myself. It's funny to say that because I think a lot of people think I do, um, but I don't. And I think that is something too, as like, if you are a brand that you're your personality and your personal brand is a big part of it is really important that you post often and consistently, but that you don't like, you can also live a private life. And like, yes, I share things about my kids, but I don't share everything about my kids. And I don't share my plates when I go to dinner and I don't tell you where I'm eating all the time. And I don't do that. Like, but people still feel that they know me and I connect with them on different levels. And so when I was a bump, yeah. And like, but when I was a bump club, I feel like I, like I had my Lindsay Pinchuk handle, which was just a personal handle at the time and then bump club. And I would always be sharing like who I was with and this, like, no, I don't do that anymore. And I, and I, I'm very intentional about it. And it's because this is my business and you know, there are only certain things you need to know about me. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. Yeah. Well, I love that you're shaping your lifestyle today around the person that you are now. And that worked for you then. And you can still evolve and change your structure and your marketing efforts to mirror the type of lifestyle that suits you now. I think we too often get stuck into, well, this is the way that it's always been done, or this is the structure that I had before that worked. And now I fear changing it, but it no longer works for my lifestyle. It doesn't matter. If it doesn't work for your lifestyle, it doesn't work, period. Right, exactly. And I will say also to answer another part of your question in terms of like marketing and whatnot, this is a little more of a marketing answer versus like a personal answer. You know, like, I mean, I think a lot of us who have grown up alongside social media, it's like, oh my God, like another platform, you know? And um, I am I am not adverse to learning something new. And I think that is really important as well. Am I great at TikTok? No, I'm not. And actually my 11-year-old is effing amazing at TikTok. And like oh, yeah. somehow has dr- drummed up 5,000 followers and makes fun of me and is like, I like your videos, mom, because, you know, and I'll be like, why, why do people like thousands of people watch your shampoo? And I'm getting like one like on my, like, these are tools you need for your business, you know? Right? So, you know, but she doesn't run a business, so she doesn't have to do certain things for her bottom line on TikTok. But my point is, is, when there is something I feel I need to learn that can enhance my business, I am not adverse to learning it. And I do come across that a lot with my clients. They'll be like, oh, like, it's just so much. Like, I can't, I don't know. And like, you can, you know what I mean? Like, if you think it's going to help your business, you should learn it. And, and you know what? You should learn it anyways, because you should always be learning. You should always be learning something new. You never know. You might not need TikTok now, or you might not need reels now, but you might need it another time, or you might be able to help someone else if they need it. And, and it's never 
a bad thing to learn something new. And so, you know, I am really trying to broaden my horizons and do things that I didn't do at Bump Club in this new business so that I can grow differently. Mm -hmm. uh, Sean Aker wrote in his book, um, it was... um, I think the happiness advantage, he has another great one. I just can't, uh, big potential. That's the other one. Um, but that science has proven that our, we are in fact happier when we are growing ourselves, that there's a direct correlation between the two. So, um, you know, I try to remind myself, people, when I come up against, I can't, or I'm looking at the, you know, having to learn something new that feels overwhelming and cumbersome that, oh, actually I will in fact feel happier as I, you know, begin to learn this and achieve it. And, um, instead of perceiving that, um, yeah, it's going to result in some kind of failure, negativity or whatever. Um, so if someone wanted say to reach out and work with you because they're hearing everything that you're talking about with community building, I obviously want them to know more about your services and how they can work with you. So tell us about that. Yeah. So I have a couple of ways that I work with clients. Like I work with big brands on, and, and I consult with a lot of big companies. So I do that, but then I also, I, it's funny. I launched, and this goes back to listening to your community. So I'm going to share this. So I listened, I, I, I was doing a course. I like did a free course and then I had a paid course. And then I did it again for a second time. It was very successful. The first time I did it for the second time. And when I did it for the second time, I grew the, the paid part because that was what my audience or my community had asked for. They wanted more from me. And then during that process of me selling the course, many people came to me and they said, I don't want the course. I want to work with you one-on-one. And I was like, oh, Okay. And like, I not, like it hadn't even dawned on me. It like, it really hadn't even dawned on me. And so within a week I put out a one-on-one coaching package. I have three of them. And within a week I had four clients. And so, um, you know, that is another way that I work with people. I have three different ways that I can work with you on building your community. Um, we do a lot with content, with social media, with email, but really, truly I, I do it custom to you and where you're at with your business. I don't have a one size fits all model. Um, there's a lot of me talking to you first on what it is that you need. Um, so I do that. And then I also will continue to offer my courses in the fall. I'm not doing them now. I feel like no one wants a course in the summer. Um, and, and when I do my course there, it's live. So that's why there, there is a, there is a recorded free version of one of my courses on my website, which is lindsaypinchuk.com. You can also find me on Instagram at lindsaypinchuk. Um, and you can take the, it's a social media for small business challenge. It's a seven day building your community on social media challenge. It's free. It's seven hours of content. It's really fun. And you will get, you will get something out of it for sure. That is free. It's taped, but I I will do it live again, um, probably in the fall. Perfect. I can't wait. We will make sure to link that in the show notes so that people have access to it. No doubt. Everyone should be taking that learning, growing, continuing to evolve. Um, and serving their audience better, which sounds like a lot of the great takeaways um, that I have from today. I know our listeners took a ton away from this conversation and the value of community. And um, it it just feels so important in today's day and age that uh, the development of that sense of trust and um, investment in your community. And I'm so thrilled to learn from you today. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm so excited to learn from you in a few weeks when you come on Dear Founder. So part two coming soon. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. 
So I hope listeners that you will go on lindsaypinchuk.com and that's Lindsay with an A and not an E. Um, like I discovered on social media um, and you will be able to access some incredible content that will help you not only build a community, but really build your impact. And that's what I know so much of us are looking to be able to do. So thank you for joining us for this enlightening episode. I hope it made your business just a little bit better. 